Today's interview is with Dr. Robert Valenzuela, who's the director of penile prosthesis surgery here at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. Dr. Robert Valenzuela played a big influence in my life in the field of urology, because when I was a naturopathic medical student, he brought me to his office to practice urology from a natural perspective. If it wasn't for Dr. Valenzuela offering me an internship and then work in his office once I graduated in urology, there would probably be no Dr. Geo, an experienced Dr. Geo in urology and men's health for all these years. In today's podcast, we talk about the whole process of gaining sexual function after medical treatment for prostate cancer. Robert and I go through the prehab process of sexual function. So that's the what to do before surgery or before radiation. And then what's important from a surgical standpoint for the radiation or from the radiation. And then what to do afterwards. What are your real options after surgery to regain sexual function? And even we talk about sexual function in men on androgen deprivation therapy and ADT. So, Dr. Robert Valenzuela, sexual rehab, sexual function after prostate cancer treatment. Let's go. All right, Robert, welcome to the Dr. Geo podcast. You know, this is a thrill for me for many reasons. Number one is because we're friends and we really don't get to see each other that much. So I, f- I felt that the, one of the best ways to, for me to see you was to interview you on your expertise in sexual rehabilitation, which we'll talk about. And the audience already know in a pre-recording that, you know, this means a lot to me because I don't think that I would, would have been in urology and men's health the way I am now. And, and pretty much at this point, thank God, a thought leader in, as it relates to integrative and holistic urology without you, because you got me started at your office in Washington Heights. <laughs> it's over 20 years ago, actually. I know, right? It's been a while. <laughs> so it is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast, man. And um, let's get started. So what happens is, you know, I see guys, part of what I do clinically is that some guys see me as a prostate cancer navigator, right? So they, they come to me for the holistic side of things, but they have trust issues with doctors. They think that everybody has an ax to grind. So I'm like the quarterback, right? Right. So I've noticed that with many of them who say, look, this is my PSA, my biopsy report is X. I think I'm going to do surgery, but I'm really concerned about sexual dysfunction. That means a lot to me. And I find that sexual function... I don't think it's a no-brainer. I think sexual function is a big deal for men. And it's a big deal for men making the decision as to, you know, what treatment am I going to undergo? And for many of them, they don't choose surgery because of that. Now, I have to say that with patients that I see, you know, we live in a bubble in New York. We are here in great institutions, Mount Sinai, you know, Sloan, uh, New York Press. I think these are just great doctors all over the place. All these guys get great results after surgery in terms of men having the ability to regain function. Of course, it depends on many things, their sexual function before surgery, et cetera. So I guess what we can do is take it from the top in terms of, all right, this is a guy that definitely will do. And we can talk about radiation because there is a significant amount of sexual dysfunction or ED that happens from radiation therapy for prostate cancer. So if the information is different, let us know. But they're about to undergo surgery radiation. What do these guys need to know about regaining their sexual function after treatment? 
Well, I got to tell you, Gio, you know, one of the biggest things, and I, I think my chairman doesn't like it when I tell them, but I tell my patients the truth. I have no vested interest in their the choice that they make. I am not going to perform the surgery. I am not going to give them the radiation. I'm there to give them my expertise based on my experience of 25 years. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I used to do a lot of radical prostates. I used to do over 120 a year. So I've done over 700 pro- radical prostatectomies during my lifetime. And then, you know, little by little robotics came on board. And so therefore I stopped doing the, the radical prostatectomies. But I learned a lot during those years. I learned to understand what the pathophysiology or what patients can expect after the surgery. So even in my hands, back when things were, we used to do open surgery, we used to tell our patients, your incontinence rate was going to be this number. Your erectile dysfunction rate was going to be this number. And I say that superficially because the numbers have changed. Back in early 2000, back before the robot, you were looking at an incontinence rate of about 15 to 20%. That's very steep. In my hands, I used to have an incontinence rate of about 10%, and that's because I was trained by some of the top guys, and I used to have excellent results. But I got to tell you, with robotics now, incontinence rate, probably around 5%. And the reason why that's important, actually, as we segue into uh, ED in a, in a little bit, is because if you cannot get your continence correct, sex, that you, can't, you can't function. You're not going to have to worry about sex. You're not going to worry about it. It's secondary because it's quality of life issue. It's a huge quality of life. So the fact that we've gotten that under control, it's huge. It really is amazing. And patients have done so well. And with the prehab and the work that you do beforehand with getting them to do the exercises and getting them on the proper diet and loss weight, all these things really, really help post-op. And not only with incontinence, but the erectile function. And that's why I start off always discussing urinary incontinence because like you said if you cannot get the urinary incontinence under control forget about the sexual function right because you're not going to be interested in it until that happens so uh, one more question as released to just the surgery itself so you think or you know that the robot itself obviously the surgeon but the robot helped has significantly in terms of better outcomes from urinary continence and even sparing the nerves in comparison to open prostatectomies absolutely we used to swim in a pool of blood when we used to do these cases now when you look at the robotic cases everything is magnified right it is crystal clear right there is very little bleeding one of the biggest complications of robotic of radical prostatectomy was transfusion rate sure Patients used to get transfused almost, not almost regularly, but I said about 10, 15% of the times. Now it's very rare that a patient gets a transfusion. So the magnification, the techniques have evolved in a way that you approach the prostate in different planes. There's nothing now, there's something called now with um, uh, a retroperitoneal or a space of retia sparing radical prostatectomy that really seems to enhance the visibility and be able to spare the nerves and get better continence rate because you get bl- better bladder neck reapproximation. So absolutely. Oh, that makes me that makes me really happy. I remember when the robot came out because it's more or less when I first started with you. Oh my God, and, you remember and, that. <laughs> and so there was a lot of anti-robot, including yeah. uh, uh, people even from my, own, from my own institution who still, uh, well, not anti-robot, just doesn't do it, but I won't mention his name because he's who my- remain nameless. <laughs> it remain, remain nameless because uh, he's my boss and he, you know he's giving me a great opportunity <laughs> at NYU. But um, the saying used to be is, oh, you're finding a procedure for an application. 
Well, guess what, buddy? No that's longer plus, the case. <laughs> that's right. And I, the, the word, obviously, I'm not a surgeon. The word was also, it's just marketing by the Da Vinci Company. It's just marketing. No, it's better outcomes. It really, it really is. It really has. That's great. It really has. Absolutely. Actually, we're going to reverse engineer this, uh, Robert, if you don't mind. So they get the surgery. How can they um, best, right? So there are two things that I think happen. One is there is some shrinkage of their penis. And you can let us know how correct that is. And if so, how, by how many inches or so. The second thing that happens that they care about is like, can I get an erection? And how can I do that? So obviously spurring the nerve. So go ahead and take it away. So Gio, let, let's keep in mind that the day you get the diagnosis of prostate cancer, you get erectile dysfunction. And you know why that is? Because psychologically you're traumatized. Right. And now you're dealing with a major stressor in your life in which you need to make a decision. Once you make that decision, life becomes so much easier. But during that period of time, sex goes by the wayside. Everything by, goes by the wayside. If before surgery, the mind is at least 50% for, that you need for sexual function, that is magnified after that diagnosis, right? A hundred percent, right? Right. So the first thing I tell my patients is, look, we picked it up in time. You're not going to die from this, okay? The one thing that you have to keep in mind is, like everything else in life, you just got to take care of it and move on with your life. Yeah. And if anything happens, yes, like remember the bionic band? We have the technology. We can <laughs> rebuild this. And I can tell you that your audience will identify with this because, you know, it is the age population. <laughs> they, they are age. That's right. You remember that, right? <laughs> we can rebuild you. We have the technology. And that is the case. You know, now when we get into the erectile dysfunction, back when I used to do radical prostates, I used to tell my patients, look, sexual dysfunction is going to occur in about 40 to 60% of men, okay, depending on your pathology, depending on your age, depending on your weight, depending on your sexual function prior to the surgery. Yeah. But in reality, now, you know, I was doing this back in 2000, between 1998 and 2011, the reality is that those numbers have come down drastically. Now we're talking about 15% of men. I mean, that's a huge is difference. It because, is it because uh, better surgical uh, uh, outcomes? Is it because I, men are healthier? W what do you think is happening there? I think it's a combination. I think now sexual medicine has taken off so much so that we, you have people like you and like myself who can discuss with the patients even be, and prep the patients before the surgery. Not only that, we're very aggressive and very much involved. In the past, when I rotated through Memorial, most of our patients went to see their oncologist, and that was it. They had their ra radical prostate, they, their urologist was their oncologist, and they followed up with them. The oncologist is not interested in your sexual function, and they dabbled, and they said, let's do this, let's do that. But the reality is they weren't dedicated to that. They were dedicated to oncology. Now you have specialists, people who are focused on treating sexual dysfunction. So we've learned so much, and there's so many different types of treatments that we can that we can do, and we start right off the back. I mean, the minute that catheter comes out, we're all over it. We're helping to try to get help help you restore your sexual function. Actually, it's before that's right the catheter comes out, and even before the surgery itself. So, can you talk a little bit about the prehab approach to penile health after surgery? Right. So, being in a major academic institution, I see a lot of my patients for prehab. 
These are patients who have been diagnosed with prostate cancer. So a couple of things I take into account, like I said before, having the experience of knowing their pathology is extremely important. You want to know what the MRI, the MRI look like. You want to know the grade of the, of the, of the prostate cancer. You want to know, yes, their BMI will, is going to make a difference, their diet, diabetes. And of course, their pre, uh, surgical, pre-intervention sexual function. Are you functioning normally? What's the SHIM score? What's the minimum SHIM score that you think of that will help? So SHIM score is a questionnaire that every man gets in your urology office. The highest you could get is 25, which means you function very well, optimally, uh, sexually. And then zero is zero. You don't function at all. What's the lowest SHIM score you found that after surgery that where they can regain all things considered, spare nerves, you know, healthy, low BMI? What's the lowest gym score you think that they can get away with and re- develop uh, sexual function after surgery? So we got to take into account, you, get, you can get a raw shim score without the use of any medication prior to surgery or a shim score with the medication. So guys who have a shim score with medication at about a 20 are guys who can potentially recover their erectile function. Those guys that have a raw shim score without any medication above 20 they also have a very good chance, provided they have low-grade disease, no negative margins, bilateral nerve sparing, and they initiate rehabilitation and prehabilitation immediately, pre and post-op. So when we go to, when we go to prehab, so the first thing I always tell my patients is, look, first thing you got to think about is that your cancer is not going to kill you. This is something that you just have to deal with, like I said before. Second of all is we start them with medication immediately, even if they have a perfect 25 score, I'd like them to get more nocturnal erections. And how do we do that? We know that we have medications like the Dalafil or Viagra that they take at nighttime. So I tell all my, I put all my patients on either five or 10 milligrams of Tadalafil every other night so that they begin to get nocturnal erections. A lot of times these guys take it in the morning. It doesn't make any sense to take it in the morning. Because in the morning, you know, it's very funny because back in 1990s, 1999, guys were taking the medication. They were sitting down to watch the baseball game and they come in, doc, this didn't do anything for me. I'm like, dude, if you're watching TV and watching a baseball game, this isn't going to work. It isn't like magic. You take a pill and it's going to pop up. And that doesn't work like that. How do you determine, Robert, to that so Cialis versus Viagra? Or do you just change? How do you determine which one you use? You know, I, I base it on bioavailability. You know, the reason they call Tadalafil the weekender is because of the length of duration, the duration, the half-life of the medication. So I like to put all my patients on Tadalafil. If they can't tolerate it because of the side effects, then I'll go to Viagra or Sildenafil. Five milligrams, I, even I have noticed almost no side effects, five milligrams. I think starting at 10, right? Is that right? Have you, have you seen side effects from five milligrams a day? It's the lowest dosage. So five milligrams is low dose and it really has minimal side effects. So if a guy has a, a shim score above 20, I'll put him on five milligrams every night at bedtime. But the question is why at bedtime? At bedtime, we have REM sleep cycle. We get nocturnal erection. We get morning erections. Right. But, you know, even if you have one REM sleep cycle, that's enough to get you to stimulate and potentially give you a morning erection. So you're stretching the penis. You're increasing the oxygenation of the penis. You're increasing nitric oxide. All these things are going to make a difference. Actually, studies have been made on diabetic patients that just on putting them on medication, even if they don't have any erectile dysfunction, really prolongs their erectile function and prevents uh, 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 
you know, decrease some function over time. So that's one of the things that I start off with. How far before you move on, how far before surgery do they need to start this regimen? So usually it depends when, when we see the patient. As soon as I see them, I start them. Most of the patients are usually three to four weeks prior to their surgery. Got it. One last question. Why does the pathology report matter so much? So let's just say that they have positive margins, positive seminal vesicles. Why does that matter as it relates to sexual function? It's going to be a wide incision. It's going to determine the type of surgery you're going to have. And I'm not going to lie to you and say, well, let's do this and let's do that because, you know, it doesn't matter. It will still help you out. The bottom line is, look, the risk of you having erectile dysfunction is going to be that much higher because of your pathology because you're going to have positive margins. And exactly what that means is that you have to likely, you don't know until you're actually there, right, in in the body, but that probably means that there is cancer around the nerve bundle, and they're going to have to probably remove the nerve bundle if there's cancer on, around the nerve bundle. So explain the nerve bundle, if you if you don't mind, and let me know if I'm right or wrong with that assumption. No, but that's perfect. That's exactly right. So the prostate, let's say it's right in the center. It's Let's say it's the root of the penis, right? So imagine the base of the penis, right? And the nerves travel right under the prostate at five and seven o'clock. They're traveling all along that, that base of the penis. Um, and so what happens is when they're dissecting the capsule of the prostate, they have to try to peel the nerves away. If the cancer is close to the nerves, you have to sacrifice the nerves. You don't have a choice because otherwise you're going to leave cancer behind. And let's say that the surgeon is trying to be nice and say, well, you know, I'm going to spare the nerve and, and I'll take the, ch- the risk. And then all of a sudden you come back with positive margin. You're going to get radiation. You're going to burn that area anyway. You're going to wind up getting hormone therapy. You're going to affect sexual function anyway. And nobody's going to sacrifice your, 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 your outcome or your ability to have to be disease free for trying to preserve nerves that may or may not function. So above all, the most important thing is to eliminate the cancer. So the MRI doesn't tell you much whether or not you're going to be able to spell, spare the nerves. You're only really going to know once you're in the, in the body and doing the surgery. That's the only time that you get to know, or is that not right? Well, no, no, not really. The MRI, the imaging now has gotten so good that we can really see the lateral extension and posterior extension. We can see into the seminal vesicles and get a pretty good idea if they're going to need, if they're going to have nerve sparing or not. So for proper counseling, uh, the imaging is extremely important. And sometimes with the biopsy, if you get any any segment of nerve or you have ner- neural invasion of the prostate cancer, then you know that there's going to be neural invasion at the time of uh at the time of surgery, and you're going to be do a wide margin resection. So no, the imaging is very, very good, and it, it's telling. It can really give you a good idea of what you're going to do. You have two nerve bundles, five and seven o'clock apart from each other. Mm-hmm. Let's just say you can spare one nerve bundle. Is that enough? Is it like just? Is it similar to having one kidney? You can function just fine with one kidney. Okay, you, is it similar? Not as good though. Not as good. Not I as gotta good? say. Not as good. You may still function, but definitely not as good. Um, and so you still have an increased risk of erectile dysfunction. But that being said, you need to look at a long term and see how the patients do. Some patients recover extremely well, even after having, you know, wide margin excision. It's surprising how some of these patients can, can recover because, you know, you can have aberrant with one, nerve bundle. with one. Yeah. You can see that. 
Yeah. So, you know, it's not 100%. We don't say it's going to be 100%. So when I counsel my patients, I say, listen, the likelihood is that this is going to be your trajectory. This is what's going to happen to you, and this is how we're going to take care of it. So I let them know ahead of time. What what's the what's the discussion like in your office when their concern is, look, Dr. Valenzuela, you know, I'm not that big as it is. And I'm really afraid and concerned that once, you know, if I undergo surgery, it's going to shrink even more. So question number one is by how many inches does it typically uh, shrink? And if I'm using the right units and number two is what's the conversation like? You know, it's it's a very easy conversation in a way that I try to explain to them that. The shrinkage, first of all, occurs because of lack of use and ischemia, lack of blood supply. So when the penis is not in use, what you usually wind up getting is the penis retracts, you get decreased blood supply, and patients get depressed. They're incontinent, they just had surgery, they forget that their penis exists, and then they realize, hey, one day they wake up and say, yeah, I got to get this going again. So we, what we see is anywhere from two to three centimeters decrease in size, which is, I like to say, in centimeters because it's going to be about an inch, an inch and a quarter. Sometimes patients can complain that they've lost that kind of length. Um, it happens more with patients with comorbidities, patients who are hypertensive, diabetics, patients who have uh, who get radiation, who get hormone therapy, because there's a couple of factors that are involved. Number one, yes, is vascular. Number two is hormonal. Okay, and number three is the quality of the tissue. So I like to compare the the penis like a sponge, like when you wash dishes, right? You take a sponge, a brand new sponge, it's nice and it fills up with water very quickly. Take an old sponge, you see it's crankly and it doesn't fill up the same, doesn't expand as much. The tissue's still there. The tissue is just, it's elastic and it's still there. But what it is, it's trapped in fibrosis because it cannot expand properly. That's where the shrinkage is. It's not that we pull your penis and we make it shorter. Is that the elasticity is decreased due to the surgical trauma, due to the ischemia, due to the hormone manipulation. All these things wind up affecting your your the size of your penis. And naturally, if you don't use it, you lose it. You lose it. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell patients this, and, and I just want to make sure I'm saying the right thing. I, I tell them, look, this is the first time since you were a teenager that you've never had a nighttime, you've never had an erection, a daily erection since you were, since you reached puberty. Because even if you don't know that you've had an erection, you definitely had at least three to five a night uh, under uh, almost any circumstance. You got to be in very bad health otherwise, uh, if, if that's not the case. But when they have surgery, that's the first time in their however many years that they haven't had a nocturnal or a nighttime erection. That is that the, that's true. Is that the case? For most guys who are healthy, especially when you get a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old guy who's athletic, who's healthy, who's had normal sexual function, it's a shock to the system. But they're also shocked because of the surgery. Yeah. So yeah, now, right. now what we've learned is to prepare them ahead of time. They get them prepared to understand that as soon as that catheter, even before the catheter comes out, they're taking the medication. They're paying attention to the sexual organ. They're stretching the penis out. They're looking for circulation. And now I was going to mention there's a new toy that is actually making a very, very, I think it's going to make a big difference for our patients. It's what's called a front tech ring, which is think of a Fitbit for your, for your penis. Can you imagine that? You got <laughs> okay. it? You is, got there it? An app? is there an app associated with it? There's an with app it? for that. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then, so then what? So then it tells you about nighttime That's erections right. and things? You remember back when I was growing up, when I was in residency, we used to do what's called a Ridgy scan. And this, and this was a monster. You had to put these two rings on your penis and this piece on your leg. And then you had to sleep with this thing overnight. And then it would measure your erections during the night. Well, now there's a ring for your penis. Well, no, no, no. Wait, before before the rigid scan. There was a stamp test. Wasn't there like tape, yeah. tape or something around the, the penis? The stamp test. And if, if the tape broke, right. it was the, <laughs> that was a sign. The right? stamp test. That's right. You put a roll of stamp, stamp around your the penis. Stamp That's test, right. right. So now we have a fit for your penis. Okay. That's hilarious. It is great. What you do is, and it's amazing because they're still working on the technology and I think it's going to go a long, long way. So what it does is you put it on and what it does is it measures your nocturnal erection. It gives you the, the strength of the erection and the peaks, the number of erections, the duration of the erections, and it traps more blood in the penis. So therefore it allows better oxygenation. So I tell my patients, not only to wear it at great. night, but now what I'm doing is I'm having my patients wear it before the surgery so that they can see what their erections are like before the surgery. And then after the surgery, I tell them to wear it and they keep wearing it and then we compare the graphs before and after. Is it commercially available? Yes, it is. It's direct to consumer. Why it are is they it? not sponsoring this podcast? Dude, I, I told I should <laughs> I told them about you. I told them this should be the case. I mean, come on, because man. Because every, every radical prostate patient should have one of these things on their hands so that they get to know their penis. Get to know your penis. Get that should be penis. a show in itself. Get to know your penis. <laughs> What's the name of it again, Robert? It's uh, FirmTech. So if you Google it, you'll see it right there. FirmTech. Yeah, FirmTech Ring. So it is really amazing. It really works really well. And what I like about it is not only are they looking at measuring your erections, they say in the long run, they're going to be able to measure your oxygen tension. They're going to be able to measure your, the, the, uh, ten, the blood uh, pressure of your, I mean, everything, <laughs> everything, baby, even how you're sleeping. If you're sleeping, standing up or sitting down, it really is a Fitbit. It really is. So that's unbelievable. I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm actually working on a, I'm going to be working on a study with prostate cancer patients, with diabetics. I'm going to be working on a study with that and look at also at the different types of therapies that there are, including just medication, including shockwave, Botox, all these other type of treatments that are that are out there. Amazing. Amazing. So we got the prehab done. They undergo surgery. Let's just say, so, all right, should we make the assumption that they will, if both nerves are removed, so both nerve bundles are removed, they really cannot get an erection without something else surgery assistance assistance, assistance. right but yeah. assistance so we, surgical assistance not just not necessarily no 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 so not necessarily two it, nerve bundles what can work right you can still get erections with assistance so when we talk about assistance it depends on your blood flow let's say you have excellent blood flow you may be able to get erection with high dose uh, PD5s like Tadalafil. You may be able to get it with getting 20 milligrams of Tadalafil, using Tadalafil every other night and then 20 milligrams on the day of that you're going to have intercourse. You may get en full enough. And now with this ring, they can actually uh, potentiate the erection yeah. even more and measure it. So that's number one. Wow. Okay. Number two, number two, there's a spectrum in this problem, right? So you have people who respond to low dose, high dose, and then we automatically go to injection for, for a lot of these guys, what's called Trimix. Tell us about the injections. Yeah. So there's something called uh, Prostadil 
or there's also Trimix, which is a combination of different drugs to help you get erections. And these are injections that are injected directly into the penis. I know it sounds really scary, but I got to tell you, it's like diabetics inject themselves all the time for their insulin. So sure. therefore... Yeah, but not... not, a, not uh, no, 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 <laughs> Come don't on. give me that. Diabetics inject themselves around the abdominal it is, area. It a little bit different. A very, it's a mosquito bite. It's, <laughs> the needle is very, very small. It's a, it's a 28 gauge. It's smaller than... It's like the, a pinprick. It, hey, there it goes, a pinprick. <laughs> so it's just a pinprick and the prick. That's all it is. But really, honestly, once you get over the phobia of the needles, it really is very, very effective for these patients. And the earlier they started, the better, because it maintains the oxygenation of the tissue of the penis. It, may, it allows them to get the elasticity back because you're getting the stretch right. in the penis constantly. All those things make a huge difference. Now, we're talking, this is not prehab. This is after surgery. No, it's po- after surgery. Right. So let's say after the surgery, now you're coming in, your urine is pretty much under control or it's still not under control. We still working, start working on your sexual function anyway. Even though a lot of the guys, oh, I'm not really interested. Or like, it doesn't matter. Once your urine is under control, you will be interested. So keep in mind, regardless of whether you're interested or not, you got to keep in mind that once you get over the trauma, you're going to want to get back into action because every guy does. And that's what testosterone does to us. Absolutely. So therefore, at that point, if they start early enough, if they start doing the, the therapy, what we do is begin to measure the dose that they use. And if they begin to get a very good response, we begin to scale it back. If they're not getting a good response, then we may increase the dose to get them to get a maximum erection. With the trimix, with the injections. Yes, yes. And using in conjunction uh, with the medications as well. So we like to use the, the terminology multimodal approach. It's not just one thing does it all. No, we want to use everything that's available. So there's other things that are out there that are available as well, so especially for guys who are mild, let's say you're responding to medication, but you're not getting quite the erection that you want. Well, there's also shockwave. And shockwave has been shown to work in guys with mild erectile dysfunction. And what it does is it causes angiogenesis, which means new vessels that grow into the penis. It causes neurogenesis, which means that the nerves begin to regenerate within the penis. And those things are very, very important for recovery. And we're still talking post-surgery, not just organic ED. Yeah, it's post-surgical. Yeah. Right. Post-surgical, so, so, so even with this post-surgical device. is a viable option uh, post-prostatectomy, assuming that they're continent, they have no urinary problems. No, 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 no. Shockwave can be used even if they have urinary problems. The only caveat is that they need to have erectile function. Shocking a penis that has no erectile function is not going to work. Got it. Okay. They need to have some response. I say they need to have a shim score of at least that's detectable, 14, 15, preferably 17 and up. Those are the guys that are going to benefit from shockwave. Doing shockwave on a guy who has a shim score of 10 which is, you know, halfway down the road. It's not going to work. It's a waste of money. And that's uh, something that we have to take keep in in mind is that this is out-of-pocket expense. So we don't want to subject our patients to an expense that's unnecessary. Sure. All right. So we got that under control. So we have the injections, which, uh, you know, 
getting the dosage in my experience, it's important because if the dosage is too good, then the pro- or too high, the problem is, of course, that they get an erection that doesn't become flaccid. And my, I remember, I forgot who I heard it, but that's that's a, an erection that's what two hours is it the magic the magic number that lasts for over two hours is a heart attack to the penis so then that's scenario where they would have to go to the emergency room um and so forth right so so it's uh it's not quite a heart attack it's more like having chest pain and (laughs) you're not having the heart attack just yet but two hours i like to tell my patients three hours they go to the emergency room yeah at two hours, I I tell them to call me. Yeah. And if at three hours they still have an erection, they need to go to the emergency room because you want to get treated within a four-hour window. At four hours, it's a heart attack. And you want to get that penis down because the more, the longer it lasts without oxygen, the more damage it has to the tissue. Right. So therefore, yeah, we always begin with a low dose. We titrate all our patients in the office and we keep in touch with them and we titrate them very slowly in order to get them up to speed. That's why getting them, even while they're still incontinent, that they're not interested in sexual in sex, it's a great point. It's a great time because you can manipulate it and there's no rush to perform. Got it. And, and is the approach any different with any other type of prostate cancer surgery, radiation, or any other type? You know, it all, it all depends. Again, the pathology, if they have extensive disease and they have positive margins on, on, on the imaging, they're going to get external beam radiation that's going to be wide and that's going to affect the nerves as well. So, you know, I used to have, my parents used to have a store. You know that. I used to work in a clothing store. I know that. In Washington Heights. Right. So, you know, I always talk about wholesale and retail. <laughs> right. That's it, baby, because that's where it comes down to. You either buy wholesale or you buy retail. retail. <laughs> Surgery is going to be wholesale. You're going to be whack with everything up front. You're going to take the whole bundle with you and you're going to deal with everything up front. Radiation is retail. It's a slow process. The radiation may last five or six weeks, but in the end, that radiation is still effective for years to come, and the damage continues throughout those years. So all those patients are going to have some level of erectile dysfunction down the road. It may not happen right away, but it will happen. That will be with radiation alone. But a lot of the patients who get radiation also get hormone therapy. That's right. And what does hormone therapy do? Hormone therapy is not what it sounds like, right? It's hormone suppression. What it does is suppresses the one hormone that stimulates prostate cancer, which is testosterone. And what do we depend on testosterone for? Sexual function. Sexual function and many other things. Sexual drive. Yeah, sexual drive. (laughs) Building muscle building muscle mass, bone strength, everything, all these things. And so all these other things are also affected. That's why you got to think very carefully. Am I going to spare my sexual function and go with radiation and hormone versus getting surgery and getting it out and maintaining my hormone levels? Very important decision to make. Robert, I hope you have the answer. I know you will. You've heard this before. Patients saying, listen, I'm getting an erection post-surgery. I'm getting orgasms. The orgasms are way more intense than before surgery. That is awesome, isn't what's it? Up, what's up? It's almost <laughs> like I'll sign up. Well, where, where do I sign up? What's up with that? How is that happening biologically? What's what's the what's the biology there? Well, you ever jam your finger playing ball? Yes. So what happens? Your finger's bent, right? And if you try to straighten it out, what happens? It hurts. It hurts. Yeah, sure. It hurts. Yeah. 
Well, guess what? They just took your prostate, they left your nerves, your body's healing, it's forming a scar. As that scar forms, when you're having sex and the penis is stretching out, it's pulling up against that. And when you have an orgasm, what's the area that pulsates? It's the perineum, right, right in the bulbar urethra, yeah. that area. And guess what? That area has some scar tissue that's formed. And sometimes that's so intense because it pulls on the nerves that it enhances that orgasm. Oh, so the pulling of the nerve is what's enhancing yeah. that. So that's a... That's- that's real. It's really interesting, right? Because what happens is when what happens when you have an orgasm you, we, during sexual activity, you have what's called a mission. A mission is the collection of semen within the prostate. Mm-hmm. It sits there until you reach that point where you're going to have a sympathetic discharge and get an orgasm. Not sympathetic, not meaning any sympathy towards anyone. Sympathetic. No, means no, a, you're oh, just ready to of, go, baby. Part of the central nervous system. So it's part of the central nervous system. Okay. I'm okay. done, baby. That's <laughs> right. There's no sympathy. So, okay. No, no, you're, that's exactly right. So that's what you get. You have an orgasm and the, that bulbar urethra, that prosthetic urethra squeezes down really tightly and causes ejaculation. Yeah. So that's what happens during a normal sexual encounter, normal orgasm. When the prostate is absent, that fossa is empty. And although nothing is filling in there, you're still having that pulsation in exactly the same area where the nerves run. And that area has been surgically altered. And so you Uh have some scar tissue there as well. And I think that's where it comes from. And yeah, a lot of the guys say that their orgasms are very intense. Very intense. That's right. I had one guy that used to cry after every orgasm (laughs) after his radical prostate. And that yeah. is no joke. It's, it's like I draw an image in my head, you know. It's like a yeah, guy yeah. like you know, ejaculating and crying right and after. And then in you know? tears. <laughs> That's great. So, all right. So, we're moving along. So, the injections may or may not work. They're ready to move on to something else. Um, what else is there? So, the injections may work or maybe it doesn't, and they're ready to do something more aggressive. What, what else is there? Well, you know, now the AUA guideline says you don't have to wait to fail everything. You can make your decision earlier on, depending on your potential for re- full recovery. So let's say you're on pills and you're getting, a, you're getting a shim score of 15, or you're getting a chubby. You're getting an erection of 5 or 6 out of 10. You're not satisfied with that. You get the injections, and you got, you're scared of the needle. And you, Even though you get a 10 or you get pain with the injection, you may go straight to surgical treatment. Mm. So mm-hmm. the next step is, you know, we break it down into blocks. You have your normal, the guys who are on pills, the guys on injection, the guys that are in the middle that can get adjunct treatment like Botox. And we haven't spoken about, about Botox in the penis, which is pretty interesting, and or shockwave. So let's say all of that happens. Well, guess what? At that point, if they don't want to deal with any of that, they come see me because I'm the mechanic. Oh, I'm they, there. Haven't see, they haven't seen you yet at this point? No, not necessarily. They may see me for uh, rehab, but for the guys who have failed, let's say for somebody else who hasn't seen me before and they need a prosthesis, then I'm the guy that they come to see. I'm the guy that's going to manage that that surgical effort. So the penile prosthesis is the next uh, the next and final stop. It's the stop. ultimate, baby. The, it's the ultimate. next and final stop. Yes. We're going to talk about that in a second. Botox? Can we get two for one? Can we get a two for a twofer, here he comes. <laughs> so, so there was a study that was done that showed that Botox in patients, post-radical prostatectomy in patients with erectile dysfunction, had some recovery of function with the use of Botox. 
and especially in question two and three, which is where they talk about question two on the SHIM score says, after the treatment, uh, those patients that were able to get an erection, 70% of them were able to get a harder erection than the guys that got placebo. And then the guys that got in the step three is how many were able to penetrate only the guys that got Botox were able to penetrate and maintain the erection, which is pretty interesting. So how does Botox work? Yeah. So Botox, what it does is it gets rid of the wrinkles. Well, how does it do that? It, it's a, what it does is a neurotoxin. It blocks the nerves. Botulinum is the... Botulinum toxin, the trait. Yeah. And what it does is it blocks the nerves, prevent the muscle from contracting. Well, let's think about the penis for a minute, because that's all I do anyway, is think about the penis. Yeah, I'm surprised. You know, when I, you have this beautiful background there, and I was hoping for some phallic <laughs> some phallic uh, 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 shapes, but no, I don't see any, unless there's one within this painting there that I can't see. You should have okay. told me, man. I would have brought them out. I was just at the penis museum in, in Iceland. I'll oh, send you a picture. Did you go? Yes, yes. I had, you know, I had a phone call. Interesting. So I had a telehealth phone consult with a patient who's American, but he was in Iceland yesterday, actually. And I said, oh, my God, you know, I haven't been. I haven't been. And it's like, you have to go to the penis museum. Like, Absolutely. In fact, he's he said, I'm going right after this conversation. <laughs> I, I, after this console, I'm going right to the penis museum. And he did, actually. So he said, I'll take a picture and send it to you. I'll send you a picture of me at the penis museum and see if you can count how many penises are in the picture. But so the Botox, what it does is the penis lives in a relaxed, in, in a contracted muscle state. So the, pe- the muscle of the penis is contracted at all times. Unless it gets an erection, then it begins to relax and allows blood to flow in. So what Botox does is by injecting the Botox, it promotes relaxation of the smooth muscle, thereby facilitating blood flow into the penis. So it actually works pretty well in the right patient. Again, this is for patients with mild to moderate, not for severe patients. So that's very, that's very important. It's not for everybody. So let's say the patient fails everything. They decide they need surgical therapy. So what I do is, yes, I do penile prosthesis surgery, and I specialize in penile length preservation and penile length restoration. Wait a minute. So that means that they, that not only can they get an erection, and I remember, I mean, back when I worked with you, you were like the guy, and not only in the Upper West Side, but in New York, and they got an erection that they controlled completely with this penile prosthesis, and you, you, it goes flaccid when you want it to go flaccid. But you also get lengthening of the penis, which is one of the things that they're actually concerned about. So tell me more. How does that work? So it's not lengthening. I don't like to say lengthening because that's a lie. It's length restoration. My goal is to help you restore some of what you lost. Okay. How about girth-wise? That that we can also that can enhance. That increases. So we can increase girth with the procedures that we do. So what we so I specialize in that. Not only that, I want to make it look as natural as possible, so that not even your partner can tell that you have an implant. So yeah, it is a mechanical system. It's three piece. Think of a breast implant that you put in. We put it in a place that that you can't notice the scar. The scar disappears. There's a pump. There's a reservoir and then there's a cylinder. And it's a closed system where fluid flows from one chamber to another, allowing the man to form an erection. Now, the one thing that they're always afraid of, is it going to affect my my desire? Is it going to affect my orgasm? It's not going to affect any of those things. Think of a breast implant. When a woman gets a breast implant, they still have sensation in their skin. They still have 
normal sensation in their, in their nipples. They still can lactate if they want, if they have children. Same thing with men. Once they get a penile implant, they're still going to be able to have sensation. They're still going to be able to have orgasm. And if they ejaculate, they can still get pregnant. So all those things are completely normal. The only difference is that instead of getting a spontaneous erection, they have to pump it up mechanically, get the full erection, and they're able to use it, and then they bring it down when they finish. The beauty wow. about it is... Yeah. You can keep it up for as long as you want. As long want. as you want. That's so right. premature ejaculation, which <laughs> Not an issue. <laughs> is, never, is never an issue anymore. All right. Unpack that just a little bit more. So there are uh, several parts to it. There's, a, there's two cylinders, like shape, uh, that goes right into the carvanosum. These are the two muscles that... Um, where that engorges with blood uh, that make that creates an erection. It gives you the rigidity, right? The hardness. There is the reservoir that holds the fluid. What's the fluid? What, what's in it? Saline. It's just what's saline. In it? Yeah, it's just okay. saline. Yeah, saline. And that reservoir lies between the the bladder and your abdominal section. Still, is that how it works? It's above the the pubic bone. It's, so it's mm-hmm. next to the. It sits next to the bladder or underneath the muscle. Next to the bladder, underneath the muscle. Right? Underneath the underneath the uh, the abdominal muscle. And then the pump goes in your scrotum, somewhere right. between your testicles? Yeah, posterior to the testicles, so you can't see it. You can't see anything? No. This is a surgical procedure, and then once it's all said and done, you can't see anything. And nope. the partner can't see anything. That's nope. great. Uh, they can feel it. They can feel where the pump is. Yeah. But, they, it's you know, unless, you, otherwise, for the most part, you can't see the, you can't see the pump, you can't see the cylinders. And to raise the penis, they have to pump. That's right. They pump it up. To bring it flaccid, they have to do what? They just hit another button and squeeze, they the, pe- yeah, button. They squeeze the penis and the penis comes back down. Comes down. Yep. So what I've noticed is they got to get over the psychological component of the whole thing. Of an, By the way, another surgery. Doc, another surgery? I just had a prostatectomy. Another surgery? Do you not? You don't see much of that? I do. I see a lot of that. Yeah. But what I yeah. But I also tell them is, well... If you want to resume your sexual function, you have a choice. So I like to compare it sometimes to like, you know, if you if you lose a limb, let's say you break your leg and they had to take part of your leg off. You have a choice. You either hobble around or you're on crutches or you're in a wheelchair or you get a prosthesis. Have you seen people r- running in a, with, a, with a prosthesis? Have you seen how fast they, they run? They run even faster sometimes. Than be- oh, my gosh. Yeah. They are great, right? And they look so natural. And a lot of them can wear clothes and they can't even tell some of them. Same thing, right? And they walk normal and everything. Well, the same thing with the prosthesis. Why not? If women, this is this, this, this whole phobia about this. If women could get breast implants, why can't men get their penile prosthesis and feel just as good about it and not be scared to say, yeah, well, that's what I have and it works and it's fine. And I got to tell you, the partners... They've done studies where they've questioned the partners. And I got to tell you, you're talking about 90% satisfaction rate on the part of the partners. Wow. So that's pretty huge. Well, PE, premature ejaculation, is a big deal. And I was only half joking before where if you suffered from that before and now you can last as long as you want, you could be, you could really be satisfying right. to, your, to your partner. But, yeah. You know, I think the partner satisfaction comes in two folds. One they see that their partners are back to their normal selves. Patients who get prosthesis are the happiest patients. You know why? They no longer have to think about an erection. They're no longer fixated that they can't get an erection. They're no longer disturbed by the fact that they can't get an erection and they can't function. Think about that. You you are, want to have sex and you can't. 
and mentally you're disturbed. Why do you think you see all those grumpy old men? Where does that come from? Those grumpy old men, they couldn't get erection. They were frustrated. That's why they're grumpy. And low T. And low T. Probably. That's right. Right. So what happens is now you restore this, you restore them back to their normal lives, and they can forget about it. In fact, they've done studies where men who get prosthesis, we're talking about 20% of men who get prosthesis, never use it on a partner. But guess what? 100% of them say they would do it again. Why? Because you've taken that element out of their lives. They can move on with their lives. They're no longer fixated on the fact that they are not sexually functional and they feel less of a man. That's very interesting. I was going to touch on that. You know, oftentimes men feel demasculinated after prostate surgery. So this is a method perhaps of them kind of getting their masculinity back to to a degree or another, actually. Uh, Very interesting point. When, so this is a piece of equipment. Yeah. So there has to be wear and tear. Sure. Sure. So how, so how long before there has to be a revisit where you have to replace the equipment? So I tell all my patients the same thing. You know, this is surgical. There's always a risk, a risk of bleeding, pain, malfunction. Any of those things can happen along the way. But with proper use, once you get past the initial risks, we're looking at 10% of 10 to 15 year uh, malfunction. And what we're looking at is that the age gap. Guys between 50 to 60 or 50 to 70 years old, they're the guys that are going to have about a 10% malfunction rate. Guys 70 and up, they have a less than 5% malfunction rate. Why is that? Because the guys that have 50 to 60 or 50 to 70 year olds are going to be a lot more sexually active. The guys that are 60 and up, they're going to take a little bit. They're not going to 70 and up. They're not going to use it as much. So they're not going to wear not and tear the guys as much. I saw up in Washington well, nice with you. I got to tell you, that's right. those guys are out there. They, but it's true. Not those guys. But it, but it does. The wear and tear is there. But I have guys who have prosthesis for 20 years and they're still going strong. Mm. Mm. So they, it, it can potentially with proper wear, proper wear and tear, it can last a very, very long time. But Gio, given a choice that they tell you, you're going to stay as you are. You're never going to have a normal erection again. Or you can have sex for 10 years for as much as you want. Which one would you choose? Yeah, the latter for yes. sure. And, and, and I think there's still, a, there's still a, a psychological, what like, what's going in my penis? And But I think like everything with your penis, I mean, everything with the way guys think of their penis, they, injection, the potion, they, they just very kind of, you got to get over that hump. That's right. That's right. You know, it sounds great. Now, lastly, uh, before we wrap it up, the guys on ADT, Interestingly, there have been some guys on ADT that I've noticed that, and I don't think they're lying. They don't have no reason to lie. That they said, "Look, I, I'm sexually active. Um, I got married not that long ago before prostate cancer. Now I'm in ADT. She's young or whatever the case is, and I, I make it happen. And sometimes they will it with injections or something." What's your experience with sexual function after androgen deprivation therapy in terms of obviously desire is minimized, but guys that want to stay active. You know, mind over matter. You know, guys are very visual. And if you see something you like, yeah, you can will it. But if you... But can they they see something they like and like it with no tea? Absolutely. Why not? I see a lot of guys just like you who have a testosterone of zero, of one, and they still have the desire. They have, still have sexual desire. How do you know? How do you know my testosterone is zero? Dude, I, I didn't say yours. I said I say guys that you see like <laughs> oh, you, buddy. <laughs> you know what's interesting about that? 
I've done a, a deep dive in, in the world of uh, naturopathic medicine and functional medicine. Um, just because I'm the only guy doing it, uh, I, I don't think of myself as a genius, but I'm the only guy doing this one specialty. I've done deep dives in hormones in men. And two things. Number one is you need actually a decent amount of estrogen to for libido and sexual desire as a man. And I'm wondering that um, because most men would say this, they would say, well, no testosterone. I'm still somewhat interesting, but in a much different way, my wife or my girlfriend or whatever, uh, or my mate is looks interesting. And I do want to, but I don't know if I, you know, it's a lot of psychological. So, but again, some of these guys on ADT, do you do implants on these guys? What's, I, I know some of these guys do injections. So what's your experience there? Yeah, Absolutely. The guys that got, that are on ADT and they prolong or wait to get an implant, they're the guys that have the greatest loss of penile length because the spongy tissue uh, loses oxygen tension, number one, becomes fibrotic because of the lack of testosterone stimulation of the tissue because the tissue depends on testosterone for its function. So therefore, it becomes more crispy and fibrotic, and so it loses the elasticity. So they're more likely to get short, shorter penis and begin to lose length and girth very quickly. So one of the things that I'm working with is patients who have had a radical prostate. Now they have a rising PSA. They have what's called a biochemical failure. They're going to need hormone therapy or radiation therapy. I tell them, look, you get your prosthesis before you get your hormone therapy to preserve your penile function and your penile length. Mm. So I think that's very, very important because you it, it is essential for their function. Yes, we can. they can make it happen and they can will it. And if the partner has a desire, they can seek it out and they'll be able to function because they have a prosthesis. And, you, wow. and remember, sex is not all about penetrative sex. There's also yeah, the intimacy. Right. The intimacy that's associated with it. And if a guy can't get an erection, they don't feel that great about their intimacy. Think about being it with a partner. Even if you can't have penetrative sex, the fact that you can get an erection, you can be close to them and everything, that often is enough. How many of those are you doing a year, penile prosthesis? So I do about 200 to 250 a year. Jeez. Does that make you, I remember you were one of the top guys, certainly in New York. Does that make you still one of the top yeah, guys in New I'm York, at least? Two, what could I say? I'm still not number one. I'm working oh, on it. You got you to gotta work a little harder. Maybe after little this hard. podcast. Yeah, no. Maybe after this podcast. Francois still kicking my butt. If he's listening, still. yeah, he's still out there. But it's okay. Still. We're, we're good friends. We, we love yeah. each other. We work very well together. So it's fine. <laughs> And I'm, and I'm sure they you guys learn from each Absolutely, other. Absolutely, yes. Listen, Robert, this has been an amazing podcast. It feels like it's just a conversation yes. of you and I having coffee. So I, I appreciate it so much taking time out. In this. We got to meet at Starbucks again. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Where can people learn more about you and find you? Uh, Valenzuela Urology. Valenzuela Urology. Dot com, yep. Yeah, we'll have that in our show notes. Yeah, very easy. It's all there. Um, one of the things that we didn't talk about, but it's something that you're, you're going to see there on the website. So I specialize not only in penile prosthesis surgery, I also specialize in Peyronie's disease. That's another podcast talking about the bend. Oh, and you got to get Zyaflex to sponsor you for that, buddy. Oh, God. <laughs> talking about yes. the bend of the penis. So I do. I, you know, those. we could do one of Peyronie's, um, actually. Um, I just saw a patient uh, with Peyronie's. 
So here's, oh God, I feel like I shouldn't digress like this, but it's just so fascinating. Again, it feels like we're having coffee. Peronis is curvature of the penis for those that are listening. And very briefly, it has nothing to do with prostate cancer. And, you know, there's a whole natural protocol. So I've given up on these guys from a natural protocol perspective because it just takes too long yes. and we don't know if it works. But but lately, some guys that came back like after five years, because I lost them to, I lost them that didn't follow up. And I, so I don't know what happened. Some of these guys started coming back and said, Dr. Gio, remember the vitamin E that you got me on and the vitamin E topical and this, that, and the CoQ10. It, it worked. I just never, I just kept going at it. So it's actually very interesting um, that uh, some of the natural things, which I, again, I've given up on it because I said, look, it's going to take so long. Most people are not going to continue. You're going to have to either live with it if it's a grade one and you're not, uh, it's not a problem for you sexually and so forth. So, so that that is a conversation that we'll have. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but firm tech, um, I'm going to look out for those guys. Me- you got to look. You got to look it up, baby. I'm telling you, this is <laughs> every every patient should have one of those things on. Seriously, seriously. If you have a Fitbit or an Aura ring, so this ring measures my sleep quality, REM. And if you have a Fitbit, now you put one on your penis. Uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Robert, thanks so much, brother. I appreciate it so much, and I hope to see you soon. My pleasure. Likewise. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Dr. Geo podcast. You can watch all episodes of this podcast and much more by subscribing to my YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash Geo Espinoza ND. If you love what you heard today, you can help by leaving a five star review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify as each review helps us reach more men who are serious about improving their urological health and how to function better with age. And for the latest research and actionable takeaways in a world of men's health and integrative urology, sign up for my newsletter at drgeo.com. I'll see you next time. And now for a brief disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and we're not forming a doctor-patient relationship through this medium. The use of the information and all links associated with this podcast is at the listener's risk and is not to replace medical advice from a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Lastly, thoughts and opinions related to this podcast are my own and may not reflect the views of any institution or organization I'm associated with.